Hello and welcome to the Football Film Cast. It's your main man Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Hi everyone, Matt Guy here. How are we all doing? I hardly knew. No, it's true. That was not meant to rhyme, it just happened. Oh dear. What a cracky start. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. Right. (laughs) It's been a long old break since we've actually got any football coming up. So we thought we'd watch a football film. Uh, Obviously, that's the aim of the game when it comes to the football film cast. This is one that was recommended by Stu. It's a film called A Shot at Glory, a film described as desperate times call for desperate measures. Losing soccer coach Gordon McLeod accepts the signing of Jackie McQuillan, a player with undeniable talent but a reputation as a team killer. The team needs a player of star quality, or it may have to re or, or excuse me, or it may have to relocate from their tiny town in Scotland to a larger market in Ireland. Starring Ali McCoist, Robert Duvall and Michael Keaton, which is a sentence I never thought I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Stu, why did we need to do this one next? Why didn't we? I mean, I, I it came about because. I think it was around about December time when Ali McCoy just appeared on Amazon Prime as a co-commentator out of nowhere. And he suddenly turned into a national treasure and everyone was talking about him. And it, for some reason, this film just came into my head and I thought, I'm sure I've seen him act. And I thought then no one had heard of it before. So I thought, okay. And I had a look and I found it, found it out. And it's been mentioned as well on, um, on other podcasts since, but, yeah, I watched this on a travel club couch in the early 2000s. So, suffering some shitty nonsense place like Colchester, probably, where it's far away, with two hours <laughs> on, a, on a tiny 12-inch telly, four rows back, uh, when you can hardly hear anything. It, it seemed okay, and that's probably why, because of them circumstances. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thought I haven't watched it for about 15 years, so why not? Let, let's bring it to the fore. That's fair. The only film I can ever remember watching on a travel club was um, Train Spotting. And I think, yeah, it would have been mid to late 90s, coming back from Bradford away when we lost 3 2. I think Jeff Thomas may have scored and Don Goodman. So that's how long back we're going. So I was definitely not old enough to see a dead baby crawling on a ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bit of a, an inappropriate film for it, but. There we go. I mean, Dean, Dean mentioned it when I when I said that sentence earlier to him, and it he, he was there when we watched the Bone Collector on the way back from somewhere that once. <laughs> it, it always seemed in other inappropriate films where you couldn't hear anything, so because everyone was either deadly silent or arguing and moaning at each other, or everyone was knackered, so you you weren't concentrated anyway. It always, and then people complained, and then we had to watch season review videos from then on, and then I discovered the Atherton, and then things got better, but. Yeah, it was um, a gl- let's say a glory time. It, it was a bad shot at glory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we are here to continue our challenge of ranking all of the football films that have ever been based upon the five pillars of what makes a good football movie. That would be the cultural impact, the footballing authenticity, the football stars, the non-footballing story, and of course, our overall enjoyment of the movie. This is exactly the type of thing that we do over on our other podcast. That would be Cage Fighting, where we're there to answer all of the big questions in film. For any fans of Peep Show, we've recently had an episode with Sophie's dad, Paul Clayton, and we've recently recorded a podcast with Canadian comic and former resident of the Golden City of Wolverhampton, Tom Stade. So please come and check us out over there if you enjoy your film, pop culture, TV all of the nonsense that makes life worth living, I think. So before we get into the film, I think we need to do our pre-match warm-up. I need you to recommend a film, and in honour of this one, I'd like a film recommendation that is set in Scotland. Stu, start us off. You've just stolen it, train spotting. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> the best Scottish film of all time. It is a great film. Um, I, you know, I haven't seen the sequel yet, but I mean, the first mm. one is, is exceptionally good. I am a fan of um, Irving Welsh in general. 
I also really like um, Filth, both the film and the book. He's a really good, um, a really good pairing from him. So yeah, T two is is decent. You know, it's actually quite good. It toes the line of nostalgia, but not for um, the sake of like padding out or for the sake of trying to get away with like poor script writing. It's it's really really fun, um, and it proper tugs at the heartstrings in parts for characters that you wouldn't expect from from the original Train Spotting as well. Definitely worth a watch. And I think like you could watch the two back to back and it not feel like they are how many years now apart would it be? Like twenty five years apart. Yeah. Like like the char- the characters are so like relatable in both. Really, really great film. Hmm. Now, is it based on one of Welsh's books, T two, or is it like a Yeah, it go itself? it go, no, so it, it filth I, I think it's elements of filth, basically. Um no. That might be a light. It's elements of porno, I think. Okay. Are, yeah. um, play out in porno T2. and Skag Boys, I think, it is yeah, are the yeah, yeah. direct sequels. But okay. yeah, so when I, when I read uh, porno, it was like it, it kind of mirrored it in a way. It more, it goes along kind of the lines of what Sick Boy was doing around okay. the time, and that bleeds into then what T two, um, what T two does. Okay, super. Uh, Matt, what's your Scottish recommendation. Oh, it's a tough one, really. Um, I was. Gonna... <laughs> I know that um, I really enjoyed Ned's. I don't know if you've ever saw that. Um, it was I can't remember what Ned stands for. Something delinquents. Um, it's basically a uh, story of a young kid who was like a gifted and talented, fell into the wrong crowd, and then gets on, joins gangs and drinking drugs in 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 Scotland, basically. Um, it's about like neglectful parents and bullying and what this what the social status was like at the time during the film. Um, it's good. Ned's check it out. It's one of those kind of very much in the same uh, feel as kind of this is England. Um, okay. Dead, dead man's shoesy kind of kind of feel to it. Um, violent, but a good fun watch at the same time. It sounded like have you ever seen kids? Uh, no, I have not. Okay. Yeah, uh, Kids, which is set in like south central LA, if I remember correctly. And it's about a bunch of 12 to 14 year olds who end up doing drugs and mm. one gets pregnant and like all the nasty shit that happens in life, but all to these young people. Uh, it sounded like that kind of thing. Non-educated delinquents is the uh, is what Ned stand for, apparently. And it has the excellent Peter Mullen in it, who... Gives a bit of growl to anything that he uh, puts his name on. Oh, very good. Uh, my recommendation is a film called The Angels Share, uh, and it's about a guy, a uh, young adult who comes out of prison and in order to, he tries to turn his life around. He befriends some fella who introduces him to the wonders of drinking whiskey. And it's just all about this friendship that these two people build up and the young guy tries to as he's trying to turn his life around, but they want to do one last big score, so to speak, to set his life up as his partner becomes pregnant. It's a good mix of drama and comedy. It's got like a proper, I don't know, if you what you associate with Scottish humour is what that's got in it. Mm. Big fan. The Angel Share, that one is. So here we go. It was filmed and produced in 1999, released July 2002. Wolves were about to embark on a season which finally saw them return to the top flight for the first time since 1982. It had been a long and bumpy road, but Dave Jones led Wolves into the playoff final against a much-fancied Sheffield United team, only for Wolves to upset the odds and walk out 3-0 winners. Two months prior to the film's release, Arsenal had won the Premier League and FA Cup double, with Ipswich, Derby and Leicester being relegated that season. Away from the football, summer 2002 saw the most Glastonbury band ever headlined for the first time, when middle-class moaning minstrels Coldplay headlined (laughs) Friday night. Nelly ruled the airwaves with Hot In Here before getting into a dilemma with Kelly Rowland in that same year. In the cinema, it was a surprise to nobody. Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers dominated, followed by Harry Potter 2, Spider-Man and the worst of the Star Wars films, Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. I propose we start with what I think is the weakest area of this film, 
that would be the cultural impact in my eyes. Yeah. Matt's nodding along, Stu. Yes. So take it away. What, what, what did you think of the legacy of this movie? Well, what legacy is, is the question, really? I mean, you only got to look at the cover. I don't even think it tries to make itself look like a, a football film. It looks more like an extended episode of Emmerdale Farm when you look at the <laughs> um, the cover. But the only time um, I was made aware of it by my friends was through Quickly Kevin, um, who I think did an episode on it. Um, I've never heard of the film, never heard of it. And it's a surprise that is because, and it's a surprise for two reasons: surprise A because of the cast, and surprise B because of the um, because of the quality of the film. Um, but it's got next to no cultural impact because no one's ever heard of it. Yeah, it's a cult classic that no one's seen. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing in itself. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, Steve. Carry on. <laughs> there's absolutely nothing. I mean, I, I put a thing on. Um, on Facebook, just a curiosity because of certain accents in the film, um, and my cousin-in-law answered, and he knew what, but, but he's Scottish, so maybe it's one of those things where it's a Scottish classic, and nothing, nothing down here, nothing in America, which is it seems to be its target audience. But yeah, no cultural impact here whatsoever. Now, um, when I was looking at the reviews from like audience reviews, almost all of them were Scottish. Like there, there didn't seem to be many people at all who weren't from the uh, from north of the border, so I, I do think the cultural impact is very much for Scotland and Scotland alone. I mean, we're nearly twenty years past this, and had it not been for Quickly Kevin, I probably would never have heard of this, which is quite an odd thing to say when it's a film which is starring Robert Duvall and Michael Keaton. Like they're, they're no. I don't know. I can't even think of an actor who would be comparable who you'd expect to be in a low-budget British film from the States. They're like worlds apart from this kind of movie, so it's it's kind of baffling. Uh, the only reason I've given it a one rather than a zero is because it does seem to have this bit of a notoriety now, purely based on this the modern phenomena of podcasting, I think is where it's come from. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, just just a bit of an odd one. But this was definitely the, the weakest area of it. Um, so I think we'll move on to the non-footballing story, which I think is obviously the meat of it. Um, I think it may have played to a wider audience who didn't particularly know the game. Um, but I did have a couple of issues with this movie that I couldn't quite resolve, uh, resolve in my head. So the idea of a football club moving to a bigger market is still fairly unheard of in in the UK, even with Milton Keynes Dons having done it. But the idea of a club moving country to do it, I don't see how a village team would do better in a complete foreign market. It just seemed to be a bit of a a flawed view of football. I couldn't quite get that. In 98, Wimbledon nearly moved to Dublin. Is that why? Yeah, that, as soon as he said Dub- Dublin, I thought, well, that's just Wimbledon then. When they when they were the um, the Norwegian guy in charge, the manager Egil Ostenstad is that his name? I can't remember now. Um, but yeah, there were definitely talks about Wimbledon moving to Dublin. That's that, I, I hadn't heard that one. Yeah, that's why as as soon as you said that, I thought, well, this nearly happened. <laughs> it's not a it's not a fancy Dan Hollywood idea. It was, and then they moved to Milton Keynes, which is kind of worse in a way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that from that point of view, that is kind of almost based in fact. Well, I took that bit more of like it was a it was an ignorant American owner that he, that would deal in franchises that move state mm. to state, yeah. states being the size of countries. That's just the way I took it that he didn't take the idea of how very different these countries. Uh, listen, I know that um, the Republic of Ireland isn't in the the Union, but. Um, well, it's in one union that we probably still want to be in, but that's by the way. <laughs> that you want to be in. It's not by... <laughs> that's how much all the sensible people with your bush, brush. Oh, <laughs> um, but I think it was they were playing on the ignorance of the um, of the American owner, personally. Mm. Uh, the other issue that I had, Glasgow Rangers' most well-known player of all time 
was playing a Celtic hero in this. Like, I, I get it's just acting, but considering the film was played out to a backdrop of sectarianism and the old firm bollocks, it just seems a real odd choice to have him down as a Celtic hero. And they had Didier Agat, who is most known for his time at Celtic, playing for Rangers. I'd, I'd just generally, I'd really like to know why they made that decision. It mm. seems so bizarre because if I it was a case that. of if it was a case of saying they had to get permission, you'd think that they wouldn't use either of those teams or they'd change the name of one of the. T- I, I couldn't quite figure that one out. Well, I like to think it's an actual thought through process, and they're they're not mocking, but they are giving the two fingers to the sectarianism and the the old firming by saying, actually, this film isn't about the football rivalry. It's about coming together and that family is more important than football. Um, so just to throw the cat amongst the pigeons, we'll swap the two around to just show, to de-emphasise the value of, of, of those ideals. Uh, I don't think this film is clever enough to do that, perhaps. <laughs> but that's what I'd like to think would happen. But then to badly colourise the shirts as well and take all logos <laughs> off in these... Uh, Ali's highlight reel. It just, it was well. It was because Dream Team had done it. That's what it was like. <laughs> it was that era mm. of using that. Well, we'll come on to the uh, football itself, but yeah, it didn't make any sense because when they showed these highlights for Celtic, it obviously wasn't in hoops, <laughs> which is the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> it looked terrible, didn't it? Like it, it barely looked green. It was such <laughs> a weird shade. I thought that that's fucking terrible. That is. I had put some points around the authenticity around kind of it's all bad points really, but it's points to make me laugh. But even though I give it a five, uh, sorry, the um, we're on non foot are we on non football story now? Yeah, Hold on, I'm, yeah. I'm getting confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hush my mouth. Uh, for the, in terms <laughs> of the non football story, though, it played on the heartstrings um, in some aspects quite well. I thought like the when it when it you know he has the relationship between. Um, the manager and his daughter. Then we've got the relationship between Adam McCoyston and his son. And then we've got the the marriage that is on the rocks. And then we've got the father-in-law, son-in-law. And th- there's more meat on this bone than you think. And it does it, you know, the film that we watched with Sean Bean. Christ, what was that called when again? Saturday comes. Um, when Saturday Comes. It attempted to do that, but it was all, it was, it was a, it was a football, like, Force a football film down your throat, but then tried to play that story in the background. Whereas I think this this married it up quite well, and then mixed with you know the sectarianism stuff that they only showed like the negative side to all that, and and that the Protestant and Catholic rivalry between the two, they never like glamorized it in any way other than it being a negative as well. And I think they did that quite well as well. Um, I think the non-footballing story was decent in this. Yeah, that's what I, I was. I was surprised by how good it was, considering I'd watched it 20-odd years ago, well, yeah, nearly 20 years ago, um, on a couch. And like I already said, you can't really take much away from that because of the situation of watching it on a screen that small to now. And, but, yeah, they could have used... I mean, the cover makes it look like a babe pig in the city, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but um, with his flat cap and everything. And, but, yeah, it didn't have to have as many layers as it did. And maybe that's how they managed to get the, the talent in the film that they did have, because it actually had a story, rather than just, oh, we need boy from small village makes village good kind of thing. So yeah, for me, for me, I, I'll get a, a solid three out of five for a non-football mm. story. Mm. Yeah, I was the same. I thought outside of those couple of flaws that I mentioned, I thought it was quite an interesting story if you just looked at Ali McCoist's character. I thought it was a, an interesting look at a man who was at the end of his career and a career where he he comes across that he's probably pr- played the prick a little bit throughout most of his life, that he's a bit of an immature dickhead. But he's got to the point now where he's working with his father-in-law, his marriage is not in great shakes, and he's given a chance. Like the, the fact that they're going to their FA Cup final is almost like that's him becoming a grown-up. So the football is mirrored in his personal life, I think. I thought that was done really well. Like, it's not outstanding, and it's it's very paint-by-numbers. 
it's very much if I was to see a footballing film, I would expect it to have a lot of the beats that this film has. <clears throat> but I don't mean that as negative. I just think it's it's a genre film, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Obviously, the film is primarily about Robert Duvall, um, but I do think McCoist is the heart of the movie. I think it's a heartfelt performance. What did we think about the acting debut of Ali McCoist? He was good. <laughs> Again, no right being anywhere but shit, but he wasn't. Mm. And I mean, knowing that, I mean, I've spoken to Ali McCoist on Talk Sport a few times anyway, and small, <laughs> small brag. Um, but. He's always been a great guy, and he's always like all jolly, big jolly guy, and never once ever considered him to be an actor. No, <laughs> it, it absolutely wouldn't. I mean, I, can, the fact that this had completely gone from my mind for fifteen years, and I hadn't thought about it since, I'm quite amazed, really, because it was it was a good performance. It was probably better than Sean Bean in Friends That He Comes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he didn't. Um, he didn't look like a fish out of water at all. Um, even like the silly things, like when he's chasing after Jackie, and pretty much every other line in this film was, "Ah, oh, Jackie." <laughs> That's all it was like, the whole the yeah. whole way through. But he even he did. He didn't sound wooden. He didn't sound like he was forcing it on or anything like that. He um, he just felt really natural, and it it. it it doesn't surprise you that he does so well with things like talk sport, things like co-commentary and things like that, because he's just got this like natural way of um, just being someone you want to watch or listen to. And he, he does it really when the, it's like the, the, the best scene I can describe that is when he's um, teaching his, uh, well, he's talking to his son about how to celebrate um, like that. You, you know, and he, it just felt really natural like that. That could have felt so forced and wooden, but it didn't. It felt, it felt natural as an actor. Like you could, you, you could, you could convince people that he is an actor in this film alone for people that don't like football and never heard of Adam McCoy. So I think you could do that convincingly. I mean, if you fast forward five years, could you imagine, imagine Harry Kane doing a performance in like that? Other, other than roll, roll, <laughs> other not. than the part where he's actually on the floor rolling around, it'd be spot on with that part. But you got to think this was a, this was a guy who was still playing football. He <laughs> won like Cantona, who retired, and Beckham, who who made certain appearances in things, and Vinnie Jones later on, who'd retired. He was still playing for Kilmarnock. I'm sure he was at the time of filming. I think he would have been because I think he didn't retire like early two thousands, so he would have still been playing at that point. Yeah. So to go to a different thing altogether, fair play to him. Really impressive. Um, I'm glad, Matt, you mentioned the child. Mm. So on cage fighting, we've often pointed out how horrific child actors are. And that kid in this film was a right <laughs> annoying little prick, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was dreadful as well. I said to you, Stu, about... Um, uh, like when, uh, when McCoy, I think, scores his first goal... He just makes this guttural wail of like, <laughs> that sounds like a 50-year-old bloke, but that just goes, Daddy scored. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the worst noise I've ever heard. Um, it's, and he, it's he, Scottish, yeah, he, not Yorkshire. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought that as the sounds emanated from my lips. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was he was abysmal. And like for all of the good for all of the good actors in this film. They could have given like fifty quid to a kid actor <laughs> to like knew what they were doing. I, I did think outside of your main three actors, everyone else felt a little bit wooden. Like I, I know that most of the rest of the cast were made up of lower league football players, but they all felt very unnatural in front of the camera. I think they all played these, you know, especially your real um, cast members, i.e. the tea lady, Doris, or a real <laughs> Brenda, I think it was. And then, like, the, the characters that you see repeatedly at the games, like the guy who abuses the goalkeeper or <laughs> the guy you can't look. I think they're just kind of, like, looking at archetypes of, um, of footballing supporters. But that's where the film turned from all the good stuff that they do with the story into like a bit farcical and a bit like this now feels a bit low budget and a bit shit. Breeds, yeah. 
saying, well, that's obviously branching off to authenticity, but all them little bits kind of, if this was made for Americans, it's what you'd expect Americans to think of English, well, Scottish football. So, I mean, the, apart from the guy not looking, because that was just weird. It didn't make any sense at all. Um, but the one that surprised me was the one, his, um, his wife, or ex-wife and then wife again, where, because she's a voice actress. I've heard her in loads of things. I'm going to El Shaddai, a great PS3 game. Um, she just didn't seem to be any good at all <laughs> in some parts. Yeah. And I don't look at it, and it was her first job, so fair's fair. But even so, you think how, if you're in the Highlands of Scotland and you're looking for an actress and you and she's the best they could find, it did look on, and when she's playing off against Robert Duvall of all people, it did go a bit, it was a bit weird. Mm, yeah. So I think, obviously, I've just mentioned that the film was padded out with a shitload of non-league Scottish talent. So the stars of the film, the footballing stars, I've given it a two. I've given it one point purely for Ali McCoist. And then I've given it a second point just because there are other players in it, even though the only reason I know most of the players in this film is because I played Championship Manager in the 1990s. <laughs> That's the only reason I knew half of them. They were all like lower league Drek that you'd never heard of, except for Owen Coyle, I think is the only other one that you'd recognise. But he has zero charisma in this movie. Well, he has zero charisma in real life. Remember when he, tried, <laughs> he took over at Wolves? How great he that did, would have been. He, yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, that, they were proper desperate for him, if I remember correctly, the fan base at one point. Yeah, because that there's your tenuous wolves link for this this programming today. <laughs> I mean, I, I did. I mean, I gave it three just because Alan McCoyce was a huge, well, and still is a huge star. But at the time, Scotland legend, Rangers legend, weirdly, um, in this context. But yeah, I mean, you're not mentioned as well. Hugh Dallas was is was a World Cup referee. That was a real... Yes, of course, yeah. To get someone like that as well, I mean, fair play to them. The the people who they got were... You think of Scottish Scottish players at that time, unless you you were one of the weirdos like me who watched Scottish football on Sky in the 90s, like you said, you wouldn't have a clue. So for who they got, it's decent enough for me. Yeah, I, I gave it a three and part of it does bleed into th- footballing authenticity, I guess, but with Andy Gray being involved as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I basically, because overall enjoyment is only out of five and I didn't want this film to fall bottom of the list, <laughs> I probably gave it a point elsewhere <laughs> that, that, where I didn't need to. Um, and... I don't really know where the where where the strength of the cast falls into this falls into this film points wise as well in terms of like Duval and um, and Keaton et al. Um, I mean, yeah, I think only the foot you know people with a photographic memory or something like that, like Stu, will know some of the dreck that, that, that some of these players, and I hope none of them are listening and get offended. <laughs> but um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's it, it, it's not. It's no Alan Shearer in goal, put it that way. Um, but then again, he gets one line while he's on a leg press machine, so it doesn't really matter. But yeah, I gave it three out of five. But Ali McCoist was the Scottish Alan Shearer, so in in that point, it should get more bonus points. But mm. when you say about Andy Gray, though, that whole part, the whole kind of studio production was spot on. It mm. was exactly <laughs> how it, it was. I mean, he's very good in doing things like this. I mean, he, he was always good on FIFA as a, as a co-com. He always seemed believable whereas you look at the, who are the Lee Dixon and who's that other bloke on there now Derek Ray exactly who the fuck's that Ruben <laughs> Neves yeah it's just <laughs> I mean, it's one of the reasons I mean mainly because FIFA's a child's game and you should be playing Pro Evo anyway but it's one of the it's a very bad sign if you, you, you go from people like Martin Tyler to Derek Ray you can't even name and if they had Derek Ray in this film that would have been more <laughs> something you'd kind of expect Mm. To get Andy, yeah. peak Andy Gray as well, peak of his powers before he's the incident. Um, again, a very good get. So yeah, a nice. Point. I feel a bit sorry for uh, Derek Ray because he pronounces players as their native tongue would pronounce them when he gets the piss ripped out of him for doing it. <laughs> so Bruno, we all Fennac, know someone like Bruno that. Yeah, oh, yes. 
there's always some prick who thinks that it's big and clever, whereas everyone else, you know, we're not in Portugal. That's why it's not pronounced that way. Yeah, no, no one, no one goes around saying Ruben Nevsh. It's just not on. Yeah. Or, or leaving what, <laughs> or sending WhatsApp messages just to correct people. It's just not on, is he? Yeah, just get over yourself, you prick. I mean, um, <laughs> I mean you have got to think. I mean, if this if this was made now, I mean, who would you who would it be cast as? I mean, you you've probably got to think John Fleck, really. <laughs> the Scottish superhero John Fleck, yeah. <laughs> but I think the Andy Gray point that for me bleeds into the football in authenticity. So that for me is probably the strongest one. I gave it a four out of five because, as you say, it does have Andy Gray in the background that gives you that. It does make the matches feel authentic that you've got him on comms. You had Hugh Dallas being the referee. I suppose you could argue, would that be in with the footballing stars as well? But I I went down the footballing authenticity for that route. I felt like the actual football that the teams played, like it looked decent. It looked like two actual footballing teams playing the game. It didn't look like one or two footballers and then 15 actors around them. I thought it was really well done. The editing around it made it look a lot more exciting than it probably was, but... <laughs> It does. It, it works to its advantage, and I felt that the cup final. It felt like a cup final. They must have filmed it at a cup final because it, it did have that big match feel. So I thought it was really well done mm. on those side of things. Yeah, I mean, I gave it a three, and there was some there was some content bones of contention for me. One being, um, I've seen the Billy Wright celebrate more excitedly <laughs> than some of the goals. <laughs> being celebrated in this film. Um, whilst they might have filmed it at real games, the camera, like especially on some of the more narrow shots, it is only on the actors or the, the those characters that we discussed before. And they do not know how to celebrate a goal in any... There, there are no limbs being waved in this scenario at all. My second... Now, this might be this might be one for, for Gully on GTA here, but... Why do you have your most prolific goal scorer taking your last penalty? It might the it stands to reason a team as shit as they are do not get to the last penalty with a with their reserve keeper and they're playing against the best team in the land. So why do you take the risk of having your best taker take it last? Surely he takes it first to give you the best possible chance of winning. This happens, this has happened numerous times over the years where... But why? I don't know. I, 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 it's it so doesn't make any sense to me either. I mean, I, I'd go with you. You'd have your best players first and then to get you 3-0 up, but then they worked for Sheffield Wednesday against us in the 90s, did he? Ha-ha. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's not weird because it, it does happen, but it's weird that people think that it, it's a good idea. <laughs> hmm. I'm going to need someone to come and, come and give me the 411 on that. Um, that aside, though, I thought, like you said, I think like the stadium and the set work was done really well. Um, I think it felt real. It didn't feel really forced and that they've... It quite easily could have looked like they've just bundled them on at half-time where they were at the half-time show on just mm-hmm. to do like film a few scenes and then do it. They've, they've, they've obviously... Must have had the backing of like the, the the stadium to do it or something like that. I don't know, but it, it did feel it had the essence of like that big match feel, as you said. So I think the football authenticity was good. I just think it was a bit clunky in some of the the reasons, you know, some of the really key things like celebrations and stuff like that. And I thought they'd do more around like showing the rivalries between, you know, when when you think of like Rangers and Celtic, you think of like rabid crowds. But then when they're playing in that cup final, you don't see any of that at all. The only time you see any kind of um, dissension is outside the hotel where they're trying to keep them up at night. And then that was really weird because it was like it got a bit rapey. <laughs> because she, it's like, oh, that's Ali McCoy's wife. Let's chase her. <laughs> and that mm. was weird. I didn't, I don't know. I know we're like 20, 21 years on and, you know, there's not this racy, you know, rape horse play that we might have had back then, but this felt weird. This didn't feel right. I, yeah. I thought mm, it didn't. It hasn't aged very well here. Yeah, those two knackers who were just wandering around this hotel—that was odd. 
Mm. Yeah, that that one guy had like a serious face, a serious case of rape face as well, didn't he? Mm. He looked dodgy as fuck. And that whole scene when when Ali McCoist and his wife are trying to escape the hotel for a night, and they're throwing uh, bottles at them. Yeah, and then Ali McCoy ends up trying to beat the shit out of the two of them and telling them it's just a game. It that all felt very odd and <laughs> not at all like within the realms of this film. It yeah. felt very out of place. It's just a it's just a game as his face is splitting open like when he's absolutely battering him. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> it seemed very much like they needed a, a reason to him be, for him to be on the bench in the cup final, and that's all they could think yeah. of. And. It didn't even look part of the same film. It was shot differently to the rest of it. So it, it, maybe it was a catch-up later on. I don't know. But, I mean, if you're walking around with a, a scarf on, not on the day of the game or in winter, then you gotta you got to be something wrong with you, really. But, I mean, and they two, them two definitely had something wrong with them, <laughs> um, yeah, let's be honest. Just... But, yeah, I think, like I said, I mentioned Dream Team earlier, and I think there was a lot of that going on through the whole film where they just they'd used Hart or St. Johnson and colorized them a bit. Um and that's why the football looked better than it normally does in these things because it was real football kind of interspersed with cutaways. And mm. I think using actual players always helps. I think we said, we said it in Party Mean Machine where other than the ridiculous bits, it actually looked real because it was a real game. And they just mm. took parts of that game and used them as highlights and edited it down for what they needed. So from that point of view, yeah, I mean, I, I gave it five out of five. I thought it was absolutely superb, <laughs> authenticity-wise. I mean, some of the other things, obviously, different, but, yeah, like you've already said, the Andy Gray stuff, the presentation around everything. I mean, there was weird bits like, why was the um, why was Michael Keaton, who we've hardly even mentioned, behind a sliding door? Why was that Why was that <laughs> the boardroom um, on his own? That seemed a bit strange. Um, but, yeah, every... Every little bit, even the camera angles of the replays and stuff that they, they were as you'd expect, other than the usual things on the camera on the pitch zooming in and following someone's head for a header and that kind of bollocks. There was hardly any of that, so yeah, it just worked really well for me. It's funny because I must have thought something of the authenticity because at one point when they were like, I'm pretty sure there was a hat trick of headers in one game. All I was thinking to myself is, play it on the fucking deck. <laughs> <laughs> because it was just all in the air. So it was just literally, I like, just hoofing it up. But that that might be Scottish second division football. I don't no, know. It very much was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. So we'll have a quick break there and then we'll come back and wrap things up. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. To main man, Andy Gillard. My guy here. Stu here. Wiki Wella. Answering the big questions in film. Who was your first film crush? What cinematic vehicle would you like to own? What's your your favourite film that features a chicken? Nicholas Cage. Is he a good or is he a bad actor? You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a vest. You always do that. Wow, bad And. Uh, it was in my head all the time, and I never knew what it was. <laughs> I mean, if I was going back to my, my younger days, and when I did actually have a, a look like in Enrique Iglesias. And remember, be excellent to each other. Hi everyone, Matt from Wolves Fancast here. If you're anything like me, time is of the essence these days. How am I meant to take training with my wonder kids on the managerial football simulation game that I'm not allowed to mention for legal reasons if I'm too busy worrying about my online media presence? Well, that's where our friends at PixelYetiMedia.com come in. They're not just web designers. They're a creative agency that cover all of your design needs from websites, brochures and signage to marketing, logo design and branding. So go check them out at PixelYetiMedia.com com. They'll get you set up quicker than a Dharma Traore running at a terrified left back. Speaking of which, who's got my baby oil? So this film, I've had a look and apparently the budget was $9 million. Ooh. I, I don't believe that. 
it says estimated when I look on IMDb and Wikipedia, but it also says the box office was $9 million as well. Like, there's no way that this has made $9 million at the box office. So I'm taking that with a pinch of salt. The USA gross alone was $133,000. I can't imagine the rest of the world <laughs> stumped up the remaining $8.8 million nearly. So, yeah, I find that a bit of an odd one. Uh, IMDb has got this down as a 6.3. Rotten Tomatoes has got a 67% critic score and a 65% audience score. So on both accounts, it's considered fresh. As you can imagine, the reviews are middling and mixed. Frank Switek from One Guy's Opinion. As its utterly generic title well suggests, it leaves Absolutely no cliche unexploited. Draxbach movie reviews uh, more like a standard Hollywood product than a celebration of beautiful game. I think that was quite a good point. It does feel like it's quite an Americanized view of the sport rather than what people in Fife, where it was filmed, would have seen the game as. It didn't. Yeah, it didn't quite have that. Um, that universal view, it did feel like it was coming very much from stateside, I felt. One audience member said, this is a disgustingly bad movie. <laughs> how an actor, I know, how fucking harsh is that? How an actor of Robert Duvall's quality agreed to make this steaming pile of turd, I will never know. As a fan of Scottish football and culture, all copies of this should be destroyed for harm to the nation. Avoid this movie as it may harm you mentally for the rest of your life if you don't. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody was quite that harsh, though. The Movie Chicks said that it's a sports movie with action that's as exciting off the field... Oh, sorry, as exciting on the field as the story you care about off it. The critical review, which pretty much sums it up best for me, though, is from Kevin Thomas from the LA Times. Not as distinctive or humour as it needs to be to stand out, but it has clearly been made with affection and care. One fan did go a little bit too far, though. Abdullah A said that Robert Duvall gives the best performance of his life. <laughs> That's quite the endorsement there. Uh, so for the final part, what we've done is have stolen some of our cage fighting um, features for the uh, the end of it so we can summarize the movie so we'll start with the good the bad and the crazy this is something which we liked something we didn't like and something that we just thought was a little bit batshit about the movie so Stu, do you want to start us off with your good bad and crazy i mean the good we've we've already mentioned it, it was ali mccoy's acting ability which is who knew basically um there was it was a lot better than it had any right to be um but yeah, there was a lot of things in this film that were just generally really enjoyable, and I didn't think mm. there would be. When the, the when the bad is, I mean, let's get to it. We haven't even mentioned it yet. <laughs> Robert Duvall's accent. <laughs> um, as as someone who's been to Scotland, well, spent what, over four days in Scotland in my entire thirty-seven years of life. I've I've got a few Scottish friends, and to start with, I didn't think it was that bad, and then he started talking more. And it went Irish and it went all over the place. And <laughs> I asked my cousin, cousin-in-law um, about this, Danny, and he said that it's as good as Mel Gibson in Braveheart. And that's all you really need to know from an authenticity point of view from that. From that, But yeah, I thought the accent was bad. I mean, I don't think his performance was that bad. I thought he was all right. I thought he, he, he threw himself into it more than you'd expect a proper star like him um, to mm. do. But yeah, I thought, I thought Michael Keaton couldn't be asked to be fair i thought it was a bad point um when we did our um, cage fighting episode with paul clayton he was talking about an actor who would only do roles as long as he got to sit down in the scenes <laughs> and it kind of felt like uh, that's what keaton was channeling in this movie he's like I'll, I'll act i'll give you what i've got but i'm not leaving this fucking seat mate that yeah. was very much his acting style yeah he was he was <laughs> When when you're out acted by Alan McCoy, so I think you've got to have a look at yourself. And yeah, this, <laughs> I mean, maybe that's where that nine million went, and it, it went for mainly on him 
any seating situation, but yeah, the, the crazy. I mean, the crazy is the fact that no one's fucking heard of it, and it's it's just been lost forever. It's been lost for years. It's it's truly baffling after watching it again and watching it properly, really, for the first time, and with a critical eye as we have now. It was good. It was fun, and it was it could. I mean, it was two hours long as well, which normally with these kind of nonsense things that you kind of oh, you're looking at the clock within. 40 minutes or whatever and i didn't check my phone once i didn't look up from the screen i just watched it from start to finish and i thoroughly enjoyed it but and for no one to know about it it's just mental mm, yeah matt what's your good bad and crazy please so um for me the good really i, I don't want to ruin it for anybody that's going to watch that's going to watch it, but i suppose this, this is this is how these things go um I like the fact that they that they didn't win in the end. Mm. Now I mean that in that I like that when when Rocky Balboa he didn't win at the end of Rocky Balboa though there is a cut where he did. Um, but in Rocky Balboa I like that he didn't beat the world champion Rocky Balboa. It's it, it's fine to have like a rags to riches tale when it falls within reason, but this its its tone was always that there's more to life than football in this film. And by having them not win, but actually he gets that pat on the back from his father-in-law and he looks like he's turned his life around with his um, his wife and that as well. I think it was nice. It was good good that they did that, that they didn't make this just stay football in peace, like when Saturday Comes ended up becoming. Um, mm. So that was the good for me. Um, Duvall's accent has to be up there as the bad, but the, the, thing, <laughs> the thing for me was kind of the... The small hick townness of the town that they came from had zero charm to it. It was all just oddballs. <laughs> now, I, you know, there are loads of small little quaint towns that you know that aren't just full of weirdos. And I just thought to 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 kind of jam that comedic element in just felt a little bit out of place for the film. It didn't need it. It didn't need like. Some of the like the stranger characters that were in it, it just felt a little bit like mm, you don't really know what line you want to take here. So it just felt a bit late, not lazy. I just think it was like we're not sure if we're going serious, we're not sure if we're going sport. Let's stick a bit of comedy in there, then it covers all bases. Maybe that's the American audience. Maybe that's what they like compared to mm. us. Whereas we want to see the grit of a of the Scottish, the Scottish you know football in doldrums, so to speak. Um, the crazy for me is all I could think about was if if um, if uh, I've kind of had a mind blank. If Michael Keaton was recast as Vince Vaughn, because I just think this is Vince Vaughn's case. Give it like five or six or seven years, that would have been Vince Vaughn. Exactly the same type of person would have played that. The nonchalant and brash American owner who comes in and wants to transform that team. And I thought Vince Vaughn was born for this role if this film was about seven or eight years later. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, my good, bad and crazy, I'm echoing Stu's sentiment on the good. Ali McCoy was the standout in this film. He brought some real heart to that character. It was a really, like it was a deep performance from someone you wouldn't associate that with. Granted, it's not much of a stretch for him to play a cheeky Scottish legend but he managed to put in an understated performance against some actual, like, bona fide legendary actors. I was really impressed with that. And, like, an understatement is not something you associate with someone like Alan McCoyst, who, as we said before, he's quite loud, he's very funny, always cracking the jokes. But there were times in this film where he looked down and he looked like he was struggling and you genuinely believed that, that could have been him almost. I think he did a really good job. And that's something that Vinnie Jones still hasn't been able to do in any of his films. He's always just playing Vinnie Jones, loudmouth, hard bastard. <laughs> so I think Vinnie could do with taking some lessons from Ali, <laughs> to be honest, in this. The bad... I like the, the one thing I love is I'm a big fan of Scotland and I love watching Scottish films because they all have, they all have this unique identity to them. They all feel intrinsically Scottish, but this didn't like, if you took away the accents of this, that could have been in any village in any part of 
the world, let alone the UK. There was nothing particularly Scottish that would that came across in it. I found that quite disappointing. I, I wanted something like that and I wasn't given it. So that's my bad. Uh, and my crazy, the beat. So I, I know I've mentioned it before, but when McCoist was fighting those two Rangers fans, <laughs> telling them that it's only a game and he was pointing out the issues around the, the religious nature of the derby between the two Glasgow clubs. It seemed like quite a big message to be putting in a film. And I think that some could do well to hear that message. But it felt kind of wasted in a film that probably hasn't been seen by more than us three <laughs> and a few other people here and there. So that, that's my... It, it was a big message in a small film, but yeah. So, did you enjoy this film? So that's our overall entertainment, our overall enjoyment of the film, basically. Matt, what are you saying? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was fantastic, and I don't know if that was because of my incredibly low expectations of a a film with a cover like that, and b a film that Stu's recommended. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and I was very pleasantly surprised. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was fantastic, and I, I. I the mark of a good film is that I immediately told about three different groups that I'm in on WhatsApp. You need to watch this immediately. It's on YouTube, which is probably the only time I've ever actually considered subscribing to like premium YouTube because there were so many adverts through it. It was unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Um, really, really good. Um, a really, really good watch. I'd like to see if now if Ali McCoy has done any podcasts or any YouTube or any shows where he talks about his his experience of the films i think it'd be really interesting to listen to there is a, a clip on said youtube of him talking to robert deval probably about last year or the year before so like a kind of reunion special oh nice i'll have to so, watch that i haven't watched it yet either i just saw it when i was looking for the trailer earlier and i, I saw it then but yeah it's it seems to be back in the uh i mean even that it doesn't seem to have had many views and it's it hasn't been mentioned <laughs> since so it's just cursed brilliant if Ali's listening, we'd love to have you on to discuss this film sometime. It'd be fantastic. Stu, did you enjoy the film? Absolutely, absolutely loved it. And it's always kind of dangerous where you kind of recommend films from the past without seeing them for a long time. And mm. I mean, obviously, other than Transformers. Um, but yeah, I was kind of trepidatious with it, thinking, hmm, is this me pimping this film out so badly? So, yeah, we need to do this, we need to do it now. And they turn it so well. It was kind of like a yes moment, which doesn't happen very much for me, <laughs> especially not in lockdown. Um, but yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I've, same as Matt, I've recommended it to. I mean, I've, I've put the the trailer on Facebook earlier. I'll put it on. I've sent it to as many people as I, I think will even bother listening to me to watch it. Yeah, just if you haven't seen, if you got this far and you haven't watched it, just go and do it. Just use YouTube Advanced and don't pay. No adverts on there. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, um, I, I thought for the most it was fine. Like it, it wasn't excellent. It wasn't dreadful. It was relatively coherently made film. It had a narrative flow and structure. Was well acted, apart from Duval's accent. So it, it's it's mostly yes, really. I've given it two and a half out of five because I, I just felt it was straight down the line for me. It was fine, no more, no less, and that's perfectly acceptable. So the other question we ask is, would Nick Cage improve this movie? For me, all day. I, I genuinely think it, I would like to see him do Robert Duvall's manager character <laughs> as the face-off version of Nick Cage. <laughs> so that proper, highly strung, about to lose his shit. That's the Nick Cage I want. On the touchline, going ape shit crazy every time they miss a shot. And I want to hear him try and do a Scottish accent because we've heard a few of his films where he's tried accents and they are not good, generally speaking. <laughs> but yeah, Nick Cage would definitely improve this movie in my eyes. Stu? For that reason, and that he doesn't do accents very well, <laughs> I would have just said, just replace Michael Keaton with Nicolas Cage from Snake Eyes. And for that reason, it'd just be more entertaining. And a crazy American... Is more funny than and entertaining than a bland American. Let's just put it that way. And would have made more sense in the kind of, oh yeah, he's so insane that he wants to move this whole club to a different country. 
it would have worked better for me. So yeah, obviously. Mm. Matt? Yeah, along the same lines as Stu, really. I think he would have given some charisma to that bit of the role. Though, at this point in his career, what was he doing? Was this around... It wasn't it was too early for Ghost Rider, isn't it? And um... Yeah, so 99 would have been after he won his Oscar for Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> and he would have done um, Face Off. So... I'm not sure if it would have fit this into his schedule or if this would have been around his will, you know, wheelhouse. But um, I think he could have given charisma to the um, to the uh, to the owner role anyway. Oh, he'd definitely be up with a, for the remake with uh, Scott McTominay and John Fleck. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 1999, Nick Cage would have done a run of Leaving Las Vegas, The Rock, Con Air, Face Off. City of Angels, Snake Eyes, 8mm, Bringing Out the Dead. And then to have gone into this would have been <laughs> fucking superb. <laughs> so the final scores on this one, I gave it a 12.5 out of 25. As I said on my overall enjoyment, it was straight down the line for me. Stu and Matt, you've both given it 15 out of 25. Uh, so that gives it an overall score of 56%. That puts a shot at glory into fifth, which is one point behind final score and two ahead of when Saturday comes. I'm all right with that. I think that's, that's about right. Yeah. right. Yeah. That's fair. It's only the only reason it's so low down is because it, no one knows about it. So it's got no cultural impact. That is all, the only thing it's missing. Because every, yeah. everything else, I mean, I rank it really highly. I mean, even for me, ranking things highly because I've got no taste. It was it was a good thing, but it's just let down by that, and that's the only reason it's it's so low because it's better. It's more enjoyable than final score, but it just hasn't got. Oh, an impact. wash your mouth out! Final score is fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I want you to finish this sentence. If you enjoyed a shot at glory, you may also like Matt. Ooh, gosh, I think. And I, I, I think this is an unfair portrayal of what Robert Duvall can do. So I want you to go. If you liked a shot at glory and you enjoyed parts of Robert Duvall's accent when he does it well, I want you to go and watch Falling Down, uh, which incidentally we did an uncaged episode on because it's a fantastic film. Um, but Robert Duvall's character actually has a bit of depth and actually um, he's, he, he's played well without any hokey accents. To go watch Falling mm. Down, available now on Netflix also. Yeah, great choice, that is. Stu? I mean, I've, I've already mentioned it. If you want to, um, again, take inspiration from Robert Duvall's accent, go and watch Braveheart, because why not? <laughs> That's as good a reason as any, I suppose. I've gone for a film in the late 80s called Major League. Uh, it's a similar sort of premise, so... Uh, the synopsis is the new owner of the Cleveland Indians puts together a purposely horrible team so they lose and she can move the team. But when the plot is uncovered, they start winning just to spite her. Uh, it's a good, fun film. It's like early Charlie Sheen when he was just crazy, not like off his bins on drugs <laughs> crazy. It's got old school Tom Berenger in there, Rene Russo, Wesley Snipes, Cracking film. I'd definitely recommend that one if you enjoyed this film. <clears throat> so that's another film in the books. Please check out our other Filmcast episodes. If you go onto our website, we've got our own little segment on there and it's got all the back catalogue kept together. Obviously, whilst you're on that website, you may as well check out our other podcasts and specials. If you prefer something more visual, though, please ensure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. And finally, please make sure you come and join us on Cage Fighting to continue the chat about film and television. So for this film cast special, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Look after yourselves. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Not long until the pubs open, boys and girls. Countdown begins. ta And it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.